This Week at Hope Point. So whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's like we're underneath that water pipe and we have allowed something from our life to stop up the pipe and the water is no longer flowing as strongly as it did. And we'll be living life without that extra power. And your capacity to know God and love God and serve Him will decrease. You'll, you'll have decreasing interest in the things of God. And when that happens, He's always going to trouble your conscience. It's not me that's troubling your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to make known to you anything in your life that's not pleasing to God. Let me say that again. If you're a Christian, He's going to make known to you always anything in your life that's not pleasing to God. God's love is demonstrated not only in His desire to cleanse our heart of sin, but to fill our body with His Spirit. What an amazing thought. The God who fills the galaxies desires to fill every cell of your body with Himself. Our bodies cannot function at full capacity without the Holy Spirit's power. As we serve the needs of others, battle with temptation, and endure hardship, we need a fresh source of power flowing into us. This is the mission of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was with His disciples, His presence filled them with hope and courage. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit's power, we too have the presence of Christ with us. When our strength is insufficient, His love and power will continually supply all that we need to know God and fulfill His purpose for our lives. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. If you took a piece of iron and threw it in a, a lake today, it would sink to the bottom immediately. But if you took that piece of iron and attached it to a piece of wood, it would float. It would be the same gravitational forces at work trying to pull that iron down, but now it has another power attached to it. It has the power of, of the wood. Your body is like that piece of iron. <laughs> the temptations of this world are too strong for you and you can't resist them. And that's why God wants to attach his Holy Spirit to your life, giving you a power and a strength that you could never conjure up on your own. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, be very careful then how you live because the days are evil and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way to overcome the effects of this world on your body. The pull of the world against the pull, the temptations of your body, except by the power of the Spirit. Paul said this was the secret to defeating sin in Romans 8, 13. By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. The sinful tendencies in our body pull us one way and the Holy Spirit is stronger and pulls us another direction. And apart from the, the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will not overcome. You will not be effective in your service to God. When Jesus Christ met with his disciples, it was interesting the first time that he met with them, he died on the cross, rose from the dead, but the disciples were hiding. They were in an upper room. They had abandoned him. They were afraid and ashamed. And Jesus makes a surprise visit into the very room where they were hiding. John 20, 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This story never gets old to me. I mean, what would you do if a, if a group of people abandoned you in your time of need? Jesus was being arrested and falsely accused and crucified and the disciples fled and left him. And he goes to them and says in utter kindness, 
I want our relationship to be healed. I want us to be restored. Peace be to you. But then that's the only, the, the beginning. After he forgives them, now he commissions them to be part of his worldwide mission. And he says to them in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. How tender and kind this is that he not only forgives us, but then he calls us. This is the most amazing thing about me standing on stage today. Not only does he forgive me of my sin this week, but now he says, I want you to be a part of teaching and leading my people in joy this morning. How tender our God is, how kind he is to forgive us and use us. But in order to be useful to God, you need a power Need a piece of wood attached to that piece of iron that's not your own natural strength. So he said to them, John 20, 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting phrase, especially in our day and age. It's like breathing on people is uncool. <laughs> but he breathed on them. Why did he breathe on them? Because he really did not give them the Holy Spirit on this particular meeting. It would be a few days later in the book of Acts when he actually gave them the Holy Spirit, but this was symbolic of what was to come. Why the breath thing? Because he wanted them to see themselves in the same place that Adam was in the very beginning of time. After God created them, the rivers and the mountains and the fish and the birds and the fields and the flowers and the elephants and the lions, in the beginning of history, God created one more animal. He created man. An animal that could love him and know him and look at the process that God used in the creation process. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Again, a scene that doesn't get old to think about God taking dirt, fashioning it into a human body. You know, last yesterday, Lisa had privilege of welcoming, welcoming our newest member of uh, our family on her side. We drove down to Greenville to see little 15-week-old Lee. He lives in Florida with his parents, Lisa's nephew, uh, his dad and mom. And I look at little Lee, he's 15 weeks old, and when I look at his body, I think of the, of the psalm that says, the fool in his heart says there is no God. I mean, look at the brilliance of this little structure. He was one side, uh, one time in his life, a, a cell the size of the tip of a pencil head. And now he's 15 weeks and marvelous. But I look at this scene in the book of Genesis and say, even though the structure of Adam's body was beautiful by the design of God, he was lifeless until God breathed in him life. This is why Jesus did this to the disciples in John chapter 20. He said, I want you to see yourself as Adam. You have no hope until my Holy Spirit takes over your life. You must yield all of your life to the Holy Spirit in order to be useful in the work of my, my kingdom. God leads you to place your trust in Jesus that he might place his spirit in you. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just going to go through life doing a bunch of transactions. And you're going to be good at the transactions, successful in your field, full of abilities, but you're going to miss the work that, that, that God wants you to do. It won't be a unique work. It'll be a common work. It'll be what everybody can do by sheer talent. 
And you're going to feel like you're doing it alone because you are doing it alone. Because you're not doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to miss the joy of watching God work a miracle in you. And that's why we need a constant vision and a constant filling of the Spirit in order to do the works of God. And that's why we go back to the verse that's been our foundational verse for three weeks. Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Last week, I told you the reason why Paul used this verse was everybody understands that when people are under the influence of alcohol, they, their body does things that they would not normally do. Unfortunately, it's destructive. But still, their, their body is led by a power that's, that makes them make choices. I read this past week that every day in America, 28 people are killed as a result of somebody uh, drunk driving. These people do things in a car that they would not normally do because the influence of a power that's greater than them. Unfortunately, it's a devastating result. Jesus said, in the same way, I want your body to be opened up to the Holy Spirit so that you'll love in a way that's not natural and you'll give in a way that's not natural and you'll trust and have joy in a way that's not natural when you're controlled by a power, the power of the Holy Spirit. I used this illustration last week, but I didn't use it as a picture. It's the best thing I can think of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's just you as a bucket underneath a, a pipe coming out of a rock and the water is unending and the bucket is always full. And no matter how much water is taken out of the bucket, there's more to be put in. Life is so crazy demanding. Water is always being taken out of us. Life is always being taken out just to live. The energy to work, to endure temptation and trials and sorrow to resist sin takes so much work and the Holy Spirit is constantly building you up by pouring. But only if you are near him, only if you are underneath the water of the source of the Spirit. And what I found out in life, it's happened in my life at times and it's, I think it may be sort of a, a pandemic in the church right now of people trying to live without really living with the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're just living by their power and not living by the fullness of the Spirit. Because as a believer, you can, there's only three responses to the Spirit. You can either be filled with him or then there's two negative responses. And the first one is you can grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't even need to use a fancy Greek lexicon to tell you what the word grieve means. It means grieve, to make sorrowful. He is a person. And there is, in a sense, a breaking of the Holy Spirit's heart, a bringing sorrow when you resist him pouring his water and his fullness and his influence into your life. The only thing the Holy Spirit wants you to do is evidenced by the end of the slide, John 16, 14. The only thing the Holy Spirit ever wants to do is increase your affection for Christ. He doesn't come on this earth so that you'll see and make a big deal of him, but rather you will have a great, great fascination of Jesus Christ. And so whenever you resist the influence of the Holy Spirit pouring that water of life, water of power into you, what you're basically telling him is, I don't want to see Christ anymore. I don't want to be influenced by Christ. I don't want to be used for Christ. I want to live my life, not the life that Christ died for. And at that moment, you will feel the sorrow 
the groaning, the grief of the Holy Spirit. Because in that moment that you say, no more of Jesus, at that moment you miss the will of God for your life. And instead of living for God's will, you live a wasted life and the Spirit grieves over that. And let me tell you something. It might already be happening in somebody's life here today. You can feel the sorrow of the Holy Spirit immediately when you depart from his influence. He will not let up on us because he loves us. And he's not going to be pouring peace into you when you're living away from him and missing your life. And you will feel his sorrow and no matter what you do to justify your decisions, you will be miserable. You will feel the sorrow of the Spirit. This is the one Puritan writer said it. No matter how much we justify our sin, the lie of the flesh will not hold up to the conviction of the Spirit. Our sin is against God's holiness, Christ's sacrifice, and the river of divine grace that sustains our life. So when you sin against God's provision, all his goodness, all his blessings, you sin against the blood of Christ, and you sin against God's pure, holy character, you will feel the sorrow of God. You will feel the grief of the Holy, of the holy Spirit. It doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or a pastor, um, a street cleaner or a surgeon, every day is filled with moments that increase your ability to know and love God. And what you do with your time is very important because when you spend it, you get something back for what you spend it for. And that's how you get through life. You have this certain amount of time. And in order to get this thing over there, you have to spend time. And when you get to the end of your life, you'll look, how did I spend all my time and what did I get for it? Like this afternoon, if you want to find out what everybody in the world did on this weekend, you can go to Facebook and you can find out the colors they chose for their kitchen and what did they order at the restaurant. Every day we should basically utter the words from the little song I remember growing up. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, and fill me. Every day of your life, you should be God. You say, Holy Spirit, if there's something in my life that's not given to you, I repent and turn to you. Fill me instead of me grieving you. The second negative response that we can make to the Holy Spirit is actually quench him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Spirit. Some translations say, don't stifle the Spirit. My favorite is, do not put out the Spirit's fire. We are in fire-burning season, are we not? Right now, it's getting colder. We've been cutting that wood all winter, and now we need to put some of that wood in a fire pit, and it felt so good this morning. And, but for those of you who are and uh, in, in, in you enjoy a, a good fire in the winter, you understand it doesn't really take much to stop a fire. All you got to do is not feed it, not put any wood on it, neglect it. And then the fire begins to grow cold. You begin to grow cold. I think Paul was on to this when he said, look how he combined this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 19. Before he said, don't quench the spirit, look what he said. Rejoice always, pray continually. 
I think he's saying, pray continually so that you will not quench the spirit. Pray continually so that you will fan the flames of the spirit without prayer. Listen, every time something great happened in the book of Acts, what was the church doing? They were praying. They prayed the spirit, the wind and fire of the spirit blew. I think you can see this in the, in the book of Philippians. Paul is in jail. He's in trouble. He knows he is. He needs help. He needs divine deliverance. He writes to the church of Philippi and he says, two things are going to bring deliverance to my life right now. Look how he ties these two together. Philippians 1, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That it's going to, the spirit of God is going to do it, but the spirit of God is going to do it through the prayers of the church is what he's, is what he's saying. The greatest need in the country, it's amazing. What if I ask you to fill in that blank today? The greatest need in the country today is what? And, and the answer is the greatest need in the country today is a powerful spiritual awakening in the church. It is amazing how often, I mean, I'm guilty of that too, but it's how often that we, I can look at something else in culture and say, that's the problem. And God says, no, the problem is my church. I'm telling you, you know, when you look at the talent of this band and I certainly give a good effort through teaching here, you would think that this place would be packed out. Now, why is it not packed out? What, 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 where's the excitement and the eagerness to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Something is wrong in the Lord's church. And I think that what it is, is there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in the Lord's church that are not yielding their life to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's reflective in our culture. I like the way that uh, Timothy Tennant, my go-to guy on this series, has, what he says, if there's any message that we are sensing right now in our society, it is that the world is broken. There is no political solution to our problems. There's no legal solution. Congress can't fix it. There's a deeply spiritual problem, and the only answer is the preaching of the gospel. That will only happen when we rediscover the gospel and the fire of the Holy Spirit. The problem with the country is probably not the country. The problem with the country is that it's an unsurrendered church. Because when a church is surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, every part of society is affected. It's what we call spiritual awakening. One of my favorite stories in the Bible to see where the Spirit of God touches all a culture, government, and even the military is in, is in the Old Testament. The story takes place, it really involves two parts of the story. There's the leaders that are involved in there's a crisis. The leaders are King Jehoash. He's the king of Israel, bad dude. Not a good man at all. And uh, then Elisha the prophet, who was sort of like the Billy Graham of the day. I mean, he was the man. So you got a bad king and you got a, a miracle-working, truth-telling, spirit-filled prophet. And there's a crisis brewing on the border. And that is Syria is about to invade Israel. In this particular uh, part of the Bible, Syria, it goes by the name of Aram, but it's modern day Syria. So the king says, I need a visit with the preacher. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he was about to die. 
And Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. He said, my father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Pretty strange phrase to us, but that was just a way of saying, hey, dude, you are the army. Um, I remember a queen of England who was a persecutor of the church said, I fear the prayers of John, John Knox more than anything else. She was a wicked queen, but she knew there was power in a praying man. So here, King Joash says, Elijah, you're, like a, you're, you're more powerful than all of our chariots and all of our horsemen when you pray. And we're about to be defeated and we need help. So you fast forward through the story and he asked Elijah what would, what would help for a military victory and all these prophets always do crazy things. He said, well, you need to take your little bow and arrow set over there, find an arrow and shoot it out the window towards Syria. And he said, but before you do, beat the arrow on the ground. And this is where we pick up the story. Elisha told him, strike the ground with the arrow. He struck it three times. The king struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you'll defeat it only three times. Apparently, the striking of the ground was a symbol of prayer. And therefore, the king lost his focus. And he stopped praying. And he was, he was confident that he had done enough. He had been filled enough with the Spirit of God. And the king simply did not ask for as much as God wanted to give now, the reason that Elisha was so passionate about asking great things of God is that's how he began his ministry, by asking great things of God. I don't know if you remember that story, but there are two guys that sound familiar. Their names sound alike in, in, in the Bible. And if you're going to make it to heaven, you have to know which comes first. <laughs> so today, I'm going to change your eternity. Elijah... He was the first miracle-working, spirit-filled, truth-telling prophet. And he was not far from his death, and he was going to hand over his ministry to Elisha. So they meet by the Jordan River. They meet by the water's edge. And at this time, Elijah was mentoring 50 young men. They were called the School of Prophets. I guess it was like a seminary. So Elijah's mentoring these 50 guys that Elisha will then take over. But Elijah wants to get across the river and say goodbye to them. But he's dying. When your body won't work, how do you get across the Jordan River? You just part it. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So Elijah made it known that he's about to die. 
This is not, this is unnerving for Elisha. So it calls him to speak with unabashed boldness to his mentor. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Elisha said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. I mean, basically he's telling God, I'll, I'll, I'll have a double of what he's having. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing. The guy just parts the Jordan River. I would think that's enough. I'll take that amount of power. He said, no, I want twice that power. The kingdom of God belongs to the askers. To the askers. Those who ask big things of God. So fast forward, you understand why years later, Elisha, at the end of his life, why he was upset that Jehoaz had not asked great things of God because God was ready to do more, but there was nobody there to ask. Elisha wanted the king to be gripped with the reality that our bodies need the spirit of God to do the work of God. And Jehoaz was not gripped with that. But that's not the wildest part of the story. The wildest part of the story is what happened when Elisha got ready to die. He got old, body sick. He did die, and this is where we pick up the story. Elisha died, and they buried him. Then there's a break in the story, and a new story starts. Now... Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. So you got thieves and robbers. They just made a habit in the spring, going through the country, causing trouble. Once, while some Israelites, that's Elisha's people, were burying a man, probably one of the prophets, one of the 50, I bet. Suddenly, they saw this band of raiders coming, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. <laughs> now, if you're cynical by nature, you probably don't like this story, probably don't believe this story. And I agree with you, it's not the normal way that God behaves at cemeteries. But that's what miracles are all about. It's when God breaks into the physical world to make a spiritual truth by doing the abnormal physical thing. She said, well, what's he trying to tell us here? Here's the lesson. All the miracles of God that were done in Elisha's body were not done because of the power of his body because even when his body was dead, it still had power in it because the spirit of God was still in it. Everything is about the Holy Spirit, not the strength of our bodies. I should have said this last week and I forgot, but when we talk about being filled with the Spirit of God, I don't want you to be confused with feeling something. You know, filling, F-I-double-L-I-N-G, filling of the Spirit is good. Trying to feel the Spirit is not what God wants. It's not about how you feel, it's about power coming out of your life whether you feel it or not. In just a moment, 
our bearded ponytail worship leader is going to lead us in a couple more songs. I can't tell you the privilege of working with him. I love him so much. It's truly the greatest music program I've ever been a part of. I've traveled a lot of places I've never seen. And yet hunters so often will leave on a Sunday and we'll either we talk Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. And so often he'll say, I, I, didn't, I couldn't really feel where the, what was happening in the place. I said, oh, it was wonderful. He said, I, I couldn't feel it. And I just love the fact that this, this, this man who has this Elisha-like body that can even feel dead sometimes on Sunday emanates with the power of God because he's filled with the Spirit of the Lord, whether he feels it or not. Last week we saw in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the Bible said he was filled with the Spirit of God while men were stoning him to death. That did not feel good. So he was filled with the Spirit, yet what he felt was rocks. It doesn't matter how we feel. What matters is the power that is coming out of our life. The most important reality in the life of any human being is they are filled with the Spirit of God. He changes everything. So now we return to our key verse over the past three weeks and we say, so how can we be more and more filled with the Spirit? Paul anticipates that question and tells us, be filled with the Spirit and all these um, adverbial phrases are telling you how. See, be filled with the Spirit and then this is how. All those I-N-G verbs, how. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing it's I-N-G in the Greek. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. And there's I-N-G. Giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So speaking to one another, Scripture. Singing Scripture to one another. And giving thanks to one another for Christ. I mean, you look what's happening in these verses. These people are talking to each other all the time about the things of God. They're, I mean, it says the Psalms here, but that's just their Bible. They're talking scripture to one another and then that talking leads to celebrating, which leads to singing, which leads to strengthening, which leads to the defeating of sin and bold, pure living in the life of the church. It's through the talking and the singing and the celebrating that the spirit is released among his people. I mean, you look at this verse and I, I just can't overstate this because it's so obvious and could be a stumbling block for some of you. When Paul says, part of being filled with the Spirit is giving thanks for everything in the name of Jesus Christ, you, you would ask this question, you know, does that mean I give thanks for my marriage that failed? I give thanks for my business that went bankrupt? Or I give thanks for my family member who died? It's, it's not what he's saying. He, 
He's saying that we thank God in everything for who Jesus is and what he has done. So in my failed marriage, in my lost business, in my deceased child, I think that Jesus Christ came into this world, felt its pain and its cruelty, conquered it through his holiness and his sacrifice, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven where he's preparing for us eternal glory and unending satisfaction. And for that, I will always say thank you. Any other option is despair. We either thank Jesus that the end is good or we live in despair. I played golf this week with a man that I, I don't know that well. So he was getting to know him and it's amazing. It was, I went there to play golf and it turned out to be it was God had much more in story. He was telling me about his 31-year-old son. Multi-talented, could do a lot of things. Athletic, uh, could run a business. Matter of fact, he was good at so many things he found it difficult to focus on one thing and in the middle of job transitions, felt discouraged that he hadn't made his mark in life yet and was dealing with some latent depression and on a very dark day, he concluded the world would be better without him and three years ago, his son took his life. So I'm talking to a man who's lost a 31-year-old son three years ago to suicide and he said, for three years, I've had to, I've had to make a choice of whether or not I was going to live with the guilt that I missed something and that I was not something for my son. Or I was going to continue to go to church and gather with the saints and let them speak and sing strength to me as I remembered the greatness of the love of Jesus Christ who died on a cross even for my son's poor decision at the end of his life so that my son could be raised from the dead and we would be reunited in heaven and that's my only sustaining grace. Christ. And he said it's, been t it's taken three years of the church gathering and singing and gathering and fellowship and ex gathering exactly what we did as we played golf that day, four of us surrounded, three of us surrounded that man that day and thanked the Lord for his son in heaven and Christ as his king. It is amazing when you look at this verse of how the church was consumed with talking to each other about God. We have so much to talk about, don't we? God for 6,000 years has been blessing this world, sustaining this world, doing miracles in this world, providing for his people, leading his people, forgiving his people. And it seems like that we can get caught up in talking a lot more about trivial things than the mighty God that has saved us. They were fascinated with spiritual conversations I talked to a man the other day who's just launched a new business and I said, should I pray that your, you know, many people would go to your website? He said, no, pray that my heart would stay focused on the right way to run my business for God. You know, this may not look like a very important verse of scripture 
It, it, you know, you may be looking for more pizzazz of how this all works, but this is one of the great, this is one of the great foundational means of grace by which God fills his church with his people is through singing. It's just there. This is what separates Christianity from all the religions of the world. We are a singing people. In AD 111, Pliny, a Roman historian, was summoned by the Roman emperor at that time, Trajan, to try to find something wrong with the church. So this is interesting. The government sent out this investigative reporter to try to find some trash on the church so they could continue their persecution against the people of God, which was rampant during the first three centuries of the church's life. Pliny comes back, and this is the dirt that he's got on the church that he writes to Trajan, the emperor. Christians meet on a fixed day every week at dawn, and they sing hymns antiphonally to Christ as God. That's the dirt. That's not like, that's not fake news like we're having wage when it's actually Moe's. That wasn't fake news, this was real news. The church had this thing about singing to Christ. This is how we become a spirit intoxicated people. We sing to one another the gospel. People say, how can I overcome sin in my life? You come to church and sing with all your might. It's how you become free of addiction and worry and depression. When we sing and celebrate the goodness of God through Christ, he releases the power of the spirit. You either come in here, many times probably you're filled with doubt and fear and you leave with thanksgiving and hope because of the power of the Spirit released through music. After the first service, when I made this statement, I had a man who's a political science, he teaches political science, and he said to me that he read this past week where the Taliban, now that they're in charge of Afghanistan, is ordering the destruction of all music and musical instruments in the country because there's no place for singing in the Quran. There is no joy in a religion that says, you gotta do these five things the rest of your life, and if you don't do all five things perfectly, you don't see glory in the end. No, there is no music because there is no good news. But the purpose of every Christian gathering is to strengthen our faith by celebrating the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the fountains of heaven are released and the Spirit of God fills his people. You know, one of the great benefits of singing is that when you're hurting, you come here and people actually sing on your behalf. There have been times in this church where I was hurting so much I would sit, you know, maybe like in the back or wherever, and I didn't sing that day. I didn't, and I didn't confess it as sin. I couldn't. I couldn't sing, but everybody to my right and to my left was singing, and they sang hope into me. They sang joy into me. 
And I know that I've returned the favor, I'm sure, when there's been people to my right and I'm singing, lifting my hands in prayer. But there are times where you come in here, you cannot even lift your arms to God. You want to cling to Christ, but you can't get your hands up. But because of the person on the right is singing and the person on the left is singing, Jesus comes and just scoots right beside you. And he, with his arms, embraces you when you can't raise yours. That's what singing does. So if anybody says it doesn't matter whether or not I go to church today, that is the most unbiblical and most uncaring statement you could ever make. Because what you're saying is my individualism, staying at home, checking out, is more important than lifting the sorrow of the person who's going to hear me sing. We're so individualistic in this world. And that's why I think Paul ended this, this section in Ephesians as he's connecting us to the next section with his transitional statement. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reference to Christ. You come to church to sing for others and they come to church to sing for you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Our singing is for the filling of the spirit for the body. And in the process, you get blessed as well. There's a man in our church uh, named Eddie. He's a good friend. We built a lot of the early years of the HP kids, our elementary age group, on Eddie's labor. Eddie's got uh, a good bit of cancer in various areas of his body right now. Been battling it for a while. He's very weak. He's six one, and right now weighs one sixty. He's thin, and his doctor rightly says that you know you, you don't need to go to church with your bodily weakness and be around all you you germy people. <laughs> so he watches us. He doesn't miss, thanks to the technology, the web. But I was talking to him the other day and I said, you know, you know, since we don't see you here and I can't go to his house because I'm Jeremy, what, what can I do for you? And we're just talking, I'm asking, you know, how do you feel? What can you, you know, basically gets out of his bed to go to the bathroom and ever soft and a little bit of soup, but that's about it. And, but no complaints at all, except this one. This was his complaint. So I decided if he's gonna complain, I'm gonna write. This is a quote straight out of his mouth. I can listen to stuff on TV and I can hear you on the internet, but there's nothing like being in the building when God moves among his people. That's what I miss most of all. It is amazing when you read the book of Acts, how in some special occasions, the spirit of God did not fall until one believer actually put his hands and touched another. So let us cry out for the filling of the Spirit and let's be there for one another to speak and sing and celebrate Jesus together. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.